Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. Today on the podcast, we have a return guest making her record ninth appearance on the Trusted Advisor is RSPA General Counsel, Attorney Jill Miller. Jill, welcome back. Hello. I was thinking to myself, you look exactly the same. And every time I come on, I look completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do with a home blue uniform every single time. And I've had the same I haircut since, uh, since I was six years old. So Nice. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, so for, for those... For those who don't know Jill or don't recognize her because she's changing her look, uh, she's a partner at Detroit-based law firm Bodman and has served as RSP legal counsel since 2020, providing advice to all members, but especially to VARs and ISVs. Now, that advice is available at no extra charge to RSP members through phone calls, emails, video chats, and also in-person meetings at RSP events. And Jill's been engaged in our industry for several years, even before she joined the RSP, counseling clients on data privacy, cybersecurity, card processing mobile payments, ACH, electronic fund transfers, virtual currencies, and more. So, Jill, what topic are we going to discuss today? What do you think is super important for our listeners and viewers to hear from you today? Okay, well, today we are talking about either uh, selling your business to an outside buyer or selling, not selling, but transitioning to a family member or other hand-picked successor owner. So I think there are some similarities between the two, but there are also unique items to consider in the different type of um, sort of release of your ownership interest in an entity. Got it. Great. And are you hearing some of this from our members, them tapping you on the shoulder? I'm guessing you're seeing a lot of this as well. Yes, and I'm having um, Zoom calls. And really, those calls start talking about how do I get prepared um, what is the what can I expect in a transaction? Um, what are the fees that are going to you know ha- be incurred in doing a transaction like this? Um, I was talking to a member yesterday who said we haven't even uh, signed the LOI and I already have deal fatigue. <laughs> I said, and he said I know that's a real thing. I said yes, it is. But I said well you if um, you know once you sort of move to the next phase and have your lawyer involved, you can start blaming your delays on your lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yep. You know, I can remember back when I was uh, at Jameson Publishing, my prior career, we bought a company uh, and it was involved in the, uh, I was the operations uh, manager at the time. We had uh, our uh, controller and then we had the owner, like we were the three people who were like in at every step of the way. And right at the end of it, we said, we never want to do that again (laughs) because it is so punishing. You know, and I think that it's interesting because there are some companies that's all they do, right? Acquire, acquire, acquire. And there are lawyers in my firm who are working on five deals at a time. And it's, you know, it's the 10 o'clock at night calls where you don't even um, ask your partner if you can call because you know they're going to answer because you're in the middle and the throes of trying to just keep on piece by piece getting through and trying to meet, you know, certain deadlines that everybody's pushing when you're working on a, on a transaction. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Great. Well, where, where do you want to start uh, talking about business transitions, selling your business? What are the key points you want to share uh, with the members who are listening and watching? Yes. Yeah, so I, I have some notes here and I'll just sort of walk through a few things, you know, they're, they're, and they're not in any particular order, but 
you know, one of the things is to get your house in order, which is really um, ensuring that your financial statements are accurate and up to date. One thing we've noticed, um, I've noticed recently, is that many of the sellers uh, don't have, don't keep their records in accordance with GAAP. And as a result, the buyer will make them restate their financials, how it would look if it were to have been, um, the record has, have been kept in accordance with GAAP. So that's something to consider about how much extra time and money would it take you to transition your uh, financials into, uh, in accordance with GAAP. So that's just something to consider, which leads me to talking to your CPA. You know, your CPA is going to be the, uh, your trusted advisor who can talk about the tax implications. The question is always, is this going to be a capital gains transaction or is this going to be ordinary income? And so, um, you know, I'm the tax lawyer and so I'm not sort of up to date on what those tax ranges are. But I did ask my Google last night um, in my living room. I said, hey, Google, <laughs> what's the current, um, you know, uh, capital gains rate? And really, it can be 15 to 20 percent for capital gains. And of course, ordinary income can go up to 37 percent. So it's a significant um, tax planning um requirement and something you should do early on. And that also um, is something to consider when you're transitioning to a family member or other hand-picked successor and in interest because you don't want your um, your replacement to have, you know, extreme income tax implications or capital gains tax implications. And so there are ways to structure a deal um, a transition from an owner to a family member. And again, so CPA discussions are really important now, right? There's, I mean, you might not be doing your deal for 10 years, but, <clears throat> and of course, tax laws will change along the way, but you should really get a sense of, you know, do you have a, you know, S corp? Do you have an LLC? Do you have a C corp? You know, how do you transition again from down to a family member or a successor, handpicked successor? How do you sort of move the ownership in a way that isn't a significant tax burden? So I would say both instances really talk to your CPA. Yeah. And so can I just ask, is it almost if you're running your own small business, you can do things I want to say however you want. Obviously, you have to follow the laws and rules and regulations. Yes. But if you do say, hey, I prefer to do it this way and go ahead and do it that way, it'd be fine. But once you're starting to do that transition, you have to realize, I don't want to say you're working for somebody else, but it has to be spoken in the same language. Like you said, the generally accepted accounting principles right. and, and the CPA has to say, well, there are these guidelines you have to follow. Is that kind of what it comes down to? Like you can get, you can have a lot of um, latitude if you're just a business yes. owner, but once you're doing this transition, the latitude gets way tighter. Is that accurate? It does, right. Because, you know, at the last minute, uh, when you're doing the transaction, you don't want to all of a sudden be restructuring your company and maybe there's no basis associated with, you know, your sale price. And so, uh, you know, there's just a lot of different kinds of uh, things that can be handled uh, much earlier and not when you're in the throes of, of actually selling the company or doing a full transition to um, another party uh, that it. you've picked. 
All right, so let's get your house in order. Uh, what else? Get what other things can folks do? Okay, so let's see. Um, due diligence, that's a biggie. You know, you have to, the buyer is going to want to see every single contract you have, whether it be the vendor agreements or your customer agreements. They're going to want to see all of your employee agreements. Um, they want to, oh, real estate holdings, uh, any leases you have, any, your assets, if there are any current legal disputes that you're aware of, um, any customers or vendors that have provided notice of their intent to leave. Um, and that's, that's, that piece right there is always something that's really important because in a purchase agreement, you will see language that's you, you as an owner, and this is an instance when you're selling to a third party buyer, there will, there are representations and warranties. And these are sentences and uh, in the agreement that you make to the buyer that they're relying on when they buy this business. For example, there might be a representation that says, um, in the last six months, uh, we have not, um, no mer there, there, we, we know of no merchant or our customer that will be leaving our business. Now, if you have received notice, you would say as set, except as set forth on schedule 1.2, no merchant has, or customer has advised that they'll be leaving. And so then on the schedule, you would list the notice dates and the information you receive from the customer. So it's all about over disclosing. There's no reason to keep any information back because what can happen is they can claw back the purchase price. And right. once you get your money at closing, you don't want anybody coming back and trying to take pieces of that back because of something maybe inadvertently you received. And that representation should really be only for the members, if it's an LLC, or the shareholders, because you don't know if some, you know, downstream customer service rep received something, but nobody told you about it. Yeah. So again, really understanding and looking at what information you have about your company. I, so you mentioned, thank you for that. You mentioned agreements. And so I know from my own experience as a small business owner, and then I also know engaging with a lot of our members, you know, they have employees who have been working for them 10, 20, 30 years. They have clients, they have merchants 10, 20, 30 years. My guess is, uh, you know, if you would say, okay, I'm going to transition, give me all your agreements. A lot of them would be like, well, we don't have agreements with these people or entities or companies or something like that. So mm -hmm. if that's the case, is that should they start, you know, putting those together and you got to have ink on paper now? Is that something that they should do versus handshake agreements? Because it sounds like in a transition, those aren't going to hold enough weight. You can't do it based on a promise. Yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on your buyer and what they're willing to accept, right? They might see that you've had a customer for 30 years and they might be, they, there's two things. I remember a transaction where there was something, there was an instance like that. And they said within 45 days post-closing, that particular customer will enter into an agreement with the buyer, the new okay. entity. And so there's ways in which you can, you know, get around it. Let's say you have a customer where you're only 
you know, you're selling your company for 50 million and it is a customer that you're only receiving $100 a month in revenue from. That's, you know, not material and there wouldn't be a requirement there. Okay. It's the material contracts that are most important um, to have something in place. I mean, if, you know, your biggest um, customer who you're, you know, getting a million dollars a month and you have no contract, that's concerning because yeah. the relationship probably is premised on the relationship, right, between the existing owner and the customer, uh, which leads me to sometimes um, the um, buyer will ask the seller, owner, principal to stay on for some period of time to help transition those relationships, to help ensure that there's continuity and that the new um, owner or replacement person can step into their shoes and keep the relationship going. And make sure there are no shenanigans going on. I mean, that's the real thing is, right? You can say, oh, yeah, all this great stuff. But if there's if it's not in writing, there's mm -hmm. no contractual agreement. It could be. I mean, I've nice. No, it's rare, but I've seen some people where they go and sell and then they go and start uh, competing, you know, organization. And so yeah, that's it seems like that's why these things need to be in writing. Even if you were just OK with handshakes, once you're in a business transition standpoint, the stakes are raised so high. You've got to, to your point. You've got to get to, you got to do your due. The, the buyer's going to do their due diligence and you got to make sure that there's, uh, again, less latitude. Mm -hmm. And then so um, the agreements, right, that's another thing you're going to have to do or your lawyer will do on your behalf, which is review the agreements and assess which need consent. If there are any right of first refusals, if there are any notice requirements, and so that's something that, um, you know, there's typically a data room where all of the contracts are placed and then an associate will go through and look at all those agreements and assess and, and put together a uh, spreadsheet about this one needs consent, this one needs, you know, notice, this one has a rofer, right of first refusal. So, um, you know, there's a lot of analysis that goes into all of your contracts. Did you say ROFR, right of first refusal, R-O-F-R? All right, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, just giving you a little information there, Jim, to expand your uh, <laughs> I, I, knowledge. I, I love me a good acronym, right? Because then you throw it around and then the person's like, I don't know what a ROFR is. And you're like, oh, you don't know what? Okay, it's right of first refusal, right? It gives you no, an opportunity. I'm always like, oh, I'm sorry, totally. Like, yes, <laughs> what it is. I don't, I'm not judgy. <laughs> Jill, before you move on to your next point, yes. we just want to pause to let our listeners and viewers know that the uh, about the RSPA, the Retail Solutions Providers Association, North America's largest community of VARs, software developers, vendors, and distributors in the retail, restaurant, grocery, and cannabis verticals. The RSPA is a perfect fit for any organization that's serious about growth in those markets. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSP sponsorship, email membership at GoRSPA.org. And speaking of sponsors, we want to thank our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsor is Blue Star. Our gold sponsors are CoCard, Heartland, ScantSource, and Star Micronics. And then also, finally, we want to make sure to let everybody know registration is now open for Inspire 2024, the Retail IT Channel's premier leadership conference. This year's event is set for January 20th through 31st at a lovely resort in Puerto Rico. You can register today at GoRSPA.org forward slash inspire, where you can experience networking nirvana and see our leadoff speaker, Jill Miller, 
uh, talking about cash discounting and surcharging. So if you like Jill on the podcast, you'll love in person, especially at a gorgeous uh, resort. And again, amazing networking. It's a one of a kind uh, uh, event. RSP Inspire again, uh, January 20 through 31st. Go to go forward slash inspire. All right, Jill, back to you. What else uh, do our uh, listeners and viewers need to know about business transition? Okay, I'm talking about two more things from the outside buyer perspective, and then I'm going to go into some specific things for the transitioning to a family member. Great. So value, right? People like, what am I going to get paid for this business? Um, you know, you should seek out industry experts to determine the fair market value of your company. Sometimes there are, or what the going rate is, if it's a multiple. Here's another one off of EBITDA. I know you know that one. Um, or if it's a um, other sort of computation, um, you know, you should assess market trends and recent deals and see what's been happening. Um, and then, again, talking to uh, an industry expert that does that kind of work is really important to give you an understanding of if you're getting a fair value. And then the other part we were discussing before we were talking about um, Inspire, which is non-competes. And so if you do intend, here's the thing. When you're selling your business to a buyer, they don't want you to open up shop again yeah. and, and start, you know, obviously you're, you wouldn't necessarily solicit their the customers you sold them, but because of your expertise, it'd be very easy for you to just ramp something else up and start something new. So yep. there are oftentimes non-competes that last for varying degrees of years. And so that's negotiable. And also there are some things we can exclude from that. Um, and so when you're thinking non-compete, there is a lot of nuances and flexibility and negotiable terms with respect to that. So just keep that in mind. Now, with regard to a family member transition, the thing I think is most important is that you develop a written plan of how the transition is going to work. Because, you know, let's say that my mom was giving, you know, me the reins of the business. You know, it's really important. Um, you know, everything is in her head. And, you know, it's really important to walk through all of the elements of how the transition plan will go over a certain period of time. Um, and really, at that point, you should be planning for your retirement and your well-being after the transition. Because if you are committing to a family member that I'm going to step away to sort of stay in and be over their shoulder is probably not what they're expecting. And if that is what the plan is, make sure that people know. So a written transition plan, I would very much encourage to keep uh, me and my mom talking to one another <laughs> and to keep the financial and the sort of the um, infrastructure and community you've built within your company um, intact. Also, I would say the successors should have both in-house training. I would send them to outside business training. I would provide leadership training. I would make sure they've had some financial training. Um, we think that, you know, just because they're our child or, you know, I just make sure that they have all the tools that they need to be successful. Um, it's best for both you as um, the outgoing leader as well as the incoming um, change of the guard. And then 
the other thing here, oh, is consider the successor's vision and core values. Make sure that they align with how you expect the business to operate after you're gone. Um, you don't want all of a sudden we're changing our entire structure and and you may have already tried that, right? You may have already, you know, tried to walk, then run and you fell and you were like, this is not the right vertical or this is not the right you know, uh, way that we go to market. So just make sure that you're having these discussions. And then lastly, similar to the outside buyer, talk to your CPA. Um, I think I mentioned this early on about how this is going to impact both the successor and yourself when transitioning the business. So those are some points. I mean, there's probably hundreds more, but those are things to consider. Yeah, so if you can, uh, I'll ask you one more follow-up because I know we're uh, we're running on our uh, our time here. It almost seems like from a family standpoint, you're like, hey, we've been together for so long, we don't really need to write stuff down, right? There's almost that inclination, but right. it seems like you almost need it more in that situation because if you sell the business and it's to some stranger and they go and they want to do something with it, I don't want to say so what. I mean, that's right. that, I don't mean to be that uh, dismissive, but if you're handing it off to your kid or a family member, you're going to see them at weddings and Thanksgiving and things of that nature. So it seems like you've got to be ultra clear or else you're going to ruin the holidays. You're going to ruin the family relationship. So I guess that's what I'm saying. It almost seems like, so if you can speak to your initial inclination, it'd be like, they're my kid. We don't need to sign a contract. Right. My kid. But boy, when they're your kid, you have to have even more details potentially for a go forward plan. Uh, if I'm understanding so. that correctly. Yeah, and I think everybody wants to succeed, right? It's not as if your child wants to fall down. And really, there's a sense of of they don't want to disappoint their parents, right? They want to, right, be the shining star. And unfortunately, we are different individuals um, than our parents. And we see things different generationally. I mean, there's plenty of you know, commentary out that out, you know, there about the different generations and how just organically they look at things different, they work differently, they interact differently. And so those are just really, I think, important things to consider when transitioning to, right, so not to ruin your holidays. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Don't assume that you're on the same page. Actually have a page that right. you guys spell these things out, anything that's, uh, that's important. And then, and then discussion will evolve out of that, right? Yep. So, yep. Yep. Very good. Well, Jill, uh, we're almost out of time, but uh, finally, can you talk about how can RSPA members connect with you to discuss uh, any legal issues? Um, I always say the best way uh, to get a hold of me is uh, via my email at jmiller at bodmanlaw.com. It's on the website. That way I can shoot you a note back if it's a quick question or I can send um, a meeting request and we can set up a time to have a Zoom call. Um, I, you can, of course, leave me a voicemail at 734-930-2499. Um, and I'd be happy to meet with our members. It's so great, you know, starting in 2020 when we were in lockdown and I didn't have the opportunity to meet um, the members in person. It's just been really uh, wonderful over the years to develop and, and uh, relationships with the membership and see them at the events. And um, so it's really nice to meet you beforehand. Then when I see you in the um, trade show floor or at a educational session, we can have a, a more for further discussion. So wonderful. Well, I'm glad you enjoy working with our members because uh, our members enjoy working with you. So great. 
Excellent. Well, that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. Uh, if you enjoyed our discussion, be sure to subscribe to the RSP YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSP blog. You can find it at gorsp.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, big thanks again to Jill Miller for sharing her wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSPA Marketing Director Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the retail technology ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, everybody.